I gave her permission. I gave a non-black woman permission to say nigga during sex. She expressed a desire to use a word and share that experience with me. One day, in the throes of deep strokes and heavy moans, it came out. And it was incredibly exciting. Now, contrary to what one might expect, there were no feelings of outrage, no offense felt or combative feelings toward her or the statement. Because of its cultural significance and impact on history and society, for many, the concept of race still heavily influences our worldviews. From how we identify ourselves and others, to selecting mates, friends, or counterparts in other social scenarios. But how do we remove the harmful effects of these views and prejudices? How do we shift the conversation from fetishes and tropes and objectification to healing and understanding and genuine connection? Welcome to the Love God, Love Sex podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Heath Maxwell. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jamie. All right. We're live and direct today. We're excited about today's episode because we're discussing the topic of interracial sex, right? Mm -hmm. So not interracial relationships, not interracial marriage, interracial sex, and really talking about the ways in which race can influence our sex practices. Hmm. We recognize this issue is sensitive to a lot of people, including us, <laughs> we us too, and we endeavor throughout the episode to maintain that awareness and how we refer to our experiences. It is our earnest desire to shift the conversation from fetishes, tropes, and objectification to healing, understanding, and connection with the hope of changing the way people view their own race and other races different from their own in a sex context. So just some brief points we're going to hit in this episode. We're going to talk about racial tropes and their impact on our sex practices. We're going to do a short history of the construction of race and the emergence of these tropes, these sex-based tropes in race. And we're going to talk about our personal histories and how we've addressed these issues and more details in the story J.O. just gave us. So with that said, let's just get right into it. You know, Jay. You know, this is a really interesting, intriguing topic that has so many landmines and pitfalls. You know, starting at the top, what are some of the popular tropes commonly used or recognized around interracial sex and racializing bodies? Like, I'll start, right? Like, Asian women are submissive in bed. That's a good one. Um, black men have big penises. Mm. Asian men have small penises. Uh, white women give better head. Mm. Uh, how about black women don't like to give head? I don't think I've heard that one since uh, I was 13. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's another one. Women from the Latinx community are always horny. Mm, yes, I've seen that. And that's been dis uh, displayed in a lot of our media. Absolutely. How about black men don't like to eat pussy? Don't like it. Like, 
It's it's yucky. It's broccoli on the plate. Also, haven't heard that one since I was thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Asian Pacific Island women have the tightest vagina. Mm, I've heard that too. I've heard that too. Uh, white men simp for sex. And what do we what do we mean by simp? Means they go all out and the roses and the opera ticket and Ronnie romance in it. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie romance in it. Mm-hmm. You sitting there at the Met with you know two thousand dollar opera seats, you know, with tuxedo and your best gown. And they're gonna do everything they can just to romance you to sex, right? So they bring the higher quality dating uh, experience to play in order to acquire or engage in sex. Get that payoff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And what's funny is we can talk about these tropes. You've obviously heard them since you were very young. I've heard them since I was very young. But we all know tropes like these are very harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we only see people through these lenses, we rob them of the opportunity to present their authentic self to us in the world. Right. Yeah, right. In our effort to promote self-acceptance and our healing, which is the focus of the show, the mission of what we're doing, of our message, self-acceptance and healing in your sex journey, we want to take some time to discuss these tropes or fetishes, hopefully helping us to find our humanity in the midst of it. So, Jay, what are the fetishes or tropes you've explored or thought about, things that you've done or have acted on? Well, you know, I'm sort of like an unofficial expert in the field. Mm. Since I've tasted the rainbow, <laughs> and, uh, I've, I've been with you know a plethora of women from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. So, you know, I've examined a lot of these tropes, mm. consciously or unconsciously, just by being in those situations. So, yeah, what what I've learned, I would say, is that you know there might be some truth to some of it, but it's purely situational. Okay. So, for okay. example, I've slept with an Asian woman before, and she was incredibly tight. Like, mm. you know, I don't think it's going to fit tight. Mm. It took a couple of minutes to get in there kind of tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, like that experience, you know, it doesn't establish that that circumstance for all Asian women. Of course, you of know, course. Um, I would say like the first girl I tried to sleep with was white. And, and I had heard that white girls were more sexually progressive or fast, as my grandmother used to say. You know, put your fast tail. There. Yeah, exactly. Don't bring no fast girls up in here. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I also had heard that they couldn't resist black men. Um, um, but not only did I get turned down, <laughs> she said. So much, so much for resist, not resisting. Right. So, so much for not resisting. But, you know, she told me my dick wouldn't do anything for her. Wow. And, and that was really traumatic because it tied into another trope we just referenced, which is you know, black men having the big penis and, and being hung. Mm. And I, you know, I was expecting to be the mandingo, the king dingling, equipped to satisfy any woman. And that just wasn't the case for her, which you know, it loops back to my initial point about the situational truth or the circumstantial evidence. You know, e- even if you've experienced any of these tropes in question, it doesn't substantiate any inherent mm. claim about any of them, you know? But uh, I'm curious about you. Which ones have you explored? Wow. Yeah, when I was younger, like you, I thought about the quote-unquote or heard about the quote-unquote easiness of white women. A popular penny at the time was that black women didn't give head and white girls mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, white women, were more freaky and easier to be with, right? right. So if you wanted to do anal or anything you saw on TV, a white woman was going to do that. A sister was going to tell you, ah, I don't, I don't do all that now. 
you know, I'm, you lucky I'm giving you, you know, the, you know, the pussy in the first place, right. kind of a, you know, a meme or trope. And I definitely pursued white women during that time in my life with that intent. Obviously, these are harmful tropes towards black women and white women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's easy to judge, too. I remember hanging out with some co-workers, a friend of mine and one of their friends, and we were in this apartment in Inwood and, and, you know, the Heights uh, several years ago, maybe even like 16, 17 years ago. And one of their friends came in. She was like working in New York City, one of these internships. I think she was an Asian or Mara-Asian. And she walks in and she tells her friend, guess what I did? I kissed kissed my first Latino guy. (laughs) And I was just like, this is so straight racist, you know, BS. But I was with a black friend of mine Mm -hmm. and I leaned over to him and I was like, you hear this bullshit? And he checked me real quick he was like that's not different than what we talk about fucking these white girls right because you just said you was you was pursuing that yeah yeah and having those same you know conversations she's talking about she kissing somebody i'm talking about fucking but you know it was easy for me you know in that situation to see the two by four in her eye or the splinter in her eye than the two by four in my own (laughs) right so yeah it's kind of interesting we both have this story around this easy you know slutty trope around white women Mm. did you did you only hear that in context of their sex practices with black men because i would say you know i feel like there's a magnifying glass on that black and white dynamic i don't hear about it with white and latinx or brown and asian pacific islander it's it's been touched on ad nauseum in the media movies tv music porn like you know i've heard adult performers get paid more for interracial scenes yeah. and mm-hmm. how like black.com which is all about you know the yeah. well-hung <laughs> muscular black dude pounding out these white <laughs> little white chicks you know that's like one of the yes, it is. premium sites on the internet like what, yeah, what yeah, do you think yeah. drives that kind of obsession with this specific interracial parent <sighs> that's a great question dude I, I i think it's an itch we have as americans and mm-hmm. it's to see this type of porn to peer into this type of sex, because in our minds, it's still illicit and dangerous, even though it's been legal for well over 50 years. Right. Interracial marriage, the classic right. loving case. Yep. Yeah. And these tropes still bind us. And we want to see this behavior or the sex that breaks the quote unquote rules of what we should be doing, which is staying within our own culture, staying within our own race. Right. And even more importantly, I, I, I think the racial buildup about black men and white women, because it's really tied to this realm of whiteness. And in this realm of whiteness, two ideas exist regarding women. Men conquer women and women are commodities, right? They're property. And regarding Mm -hmm. race, which we know is a construct, two ideas exist about black people. Black people are subhuman and are not entitled to white property. So a black man or black men humping on a white woman or white women means that the outsider, the beast, is taking their goods or their properties. Mm. And even when you see the white male humping on the beast, the black woman, you know, it's it's again salacious. It's illicit, something I shouldn't be doing. It's a popular word we've said on this podcast before, transgressive. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yep. a lot of IR porn and racial porn scratches that itch we have to see that type of violation, that illicit behavior. Right. Yeah. No, no. You bring up a, a good point of calling it what it is, right? Yeah. Calling out the construct of race. Mm-hmm. But if it is a construct, right, and, and essentially mm-hmm. it's fictitious, why do you think it still has such a strong influence on like our conversations and, and sex practices? I think the most important point about this is made by an author, uh, 
academic Dr. Cheryl Cashin. She's the author of Loving, Interracial Intimacy in America and the Threat to White Supremacy. And in an interview, she talked about her book, and she talks about the development of race and racism, and it's tied to interracial intimacy. And mm-hmm. she takes it back to colonial Virginia, Jamestown, 1600s. And at the time, you had indentured whites and bonded blacks and indigenous people working, tilling the ground, being a part of planter society. This is really before black chattel slavery kicks into high gear. Mm-hmm. And these people got along. They told beside each other. They fraternized. They sometimes right. had sex. They were- yeah, yeah. They, re- they rebelled, and, you know, and they, they definitely were humping on each other because like anything, you're going to hump on whoever's near you. You're not flying to Shanghai. Back then, especially, you were going to you know, fly <laughs> someone out from. <laughs> exactly. You ain't taking an eight-week cruise to go get on something in Laos or, or Okinawa, Japan. <laughs> you know? So when the planter elite decided to transition from indentured servitude to black chattel slavery, they needed a way to bond the white laborers to them. So they used whiteness to do that. And whiteness Mm -hmm. allowed or conferred certain privileges to the white laborers. And they stripped the black servants of the rights they enjoyed. And the way they maintained that divide is through this rhetoric around race mixing and fear that black men having sex with white women was going to destroy the race and destroy the privileges that mm-hmm. these white laborers now could enjoy. It was all about stoking fear, and this kind of these tropes were maintained. Uh, a second kind of move or source that I'm going to use is by an NYU professor named Martha Hodes. She wrote a book in 1997, and she's still at NYU, called Black Men, White Women, Illicit Sex in the 19th Century. And this book you know, explores the history of the powerful category of illicit sex in America between Southern white women and black men. And it draws on sources from courtroom testimony, legislative petitions, pardon pleas, and what she really goes on to say after looking through all this kind of primary source, secondary source material, is that prior to the Civil War, sex between white men and black, white women, excuse me, and black men was kind of just seen as an outgrowth or an externality of slavery, right? Um, we, we see that sometimes in capitalist America now, right? With certain businesses that produce certain waste that has to be managed, right? It's an externality of that business. So they just saw it as an externality. But what happens is after slavery ends and after the Civil War, with the advent of black freedom, there was issues now with black men being with white women. To go back to your point, why does that itch? Why do we keep seeing black men on white, white women? Man, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what happens is Hode starts to detail all the vivid examples of violence that happen towards these kind of couples or coupling. And you have the Ku Klux Klan and un- unprecedented white rage and terrorism that begins to target these couples or these instances of hookups. You know, as we know, even if there were feigned or make-believe stories, black men were targeted, i.e., you know, Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. Right. right. The lies that the woman did eventually before she died a couple of years ago said that oh, I lied about it. So all these sources reveal the increased emphasis of racializing bodies and impact on sex in America from a historical perspective. And I think speaks to one of the main reasons we continue to have these issues surface, especially in America's favorite pastime, porn. Porn is America's favorite pastime. I thought it was baseball. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I think porn has has, has better buy rates, better view rates, better viewership at this point. Is, yeah, exactly. The revenue is like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Especially in that IR, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. You know, 
So just taking it a step further, we've talked about the history, we've talked about our own tropes. What do you think we need to do to resolve them or, or, or start to address this issue in a healthy, collaborative, communal way? Like, what do we need to do? Well, you know, the, the, the Bible says you got to re- renew the mind. Mm. Um, but that's, I feel like that's what it takes, reprogramming, recalibrating. You have to replace, mm-hmm. you know, bad thoughts with good thoughts. I would say that's really mm-hmm. been the key for me is like continuously finding substitutes for that kind of distorted and warped thinking you know i'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard the expression we're all black when the lights go out yeah 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 so for me you know even in jest it's such a powerful statement because of the kind of truth that it points to and, and it highlights like mm-hmm. there's this beautiful connective experience that that all human beings can enjoy human beings not if you're white black this or that it's just a a really basic Mm -hmm. commonality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's this you know beautiful experience that can be had when you strip away the things that you know separate you so like when you lay down with somebody and the lights are out you're not thinking about their race you know you're thinking about the the beauty and the worship that's happening between you two in real time Mm -hmm. so for Mm -hmm. me it's about shifting the focus to things that bring us together as opposed to things that tear us apart. Mm. So finding those um, points for alliances. I mean, Dr. Cashin kind of talked about that. She says she doesn't have a hoping for any major class unity, but with the rise of these multiracial coalitions due to the deaths of Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, George Floyd, Sandra Bland, mm-hmm. right, Breonna Taylor, Breonna Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. With the rise of, of these deaths, you're starting to see kind of uh, an awakening happening in certain pockets of the white population here in the United States. And her hope is that these multiracial alliances rooted in recognizing that there is a different need or a renewed need to promote equity and equality for all people throughout the Mm -hmm. United States Mm -hmm. will create a new wave of unity and commonality that can push forward legislation and policy. And really, once we get out of legislation policy, good social practices. And I think that's where a lot of that really matters for um, all of us. That's Dr. I think Dr. Cashin's argument. Yeah, I, I mean, I would just say I, I certainly hope so. As, as mm-hmm. somebody who really does not subscribe to a lot of r- racial narratives, I think it's really powerful to reimagine what the world would look like if we weren't so caught up in race. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. The great Bell Hooks, who just passed away in December, may she rest in power, rest in peace, once uh, at the New School in New York a couple of years ago had said, what does it look like for black people to actually be free? Mm. Mm-hmm. And when she, you know, put forth that question it was hard for me. What does our freedom really look like for us? If we visualized it, what does it look like a day to day or even just, you know, a day in the life of a free black person mm. with all the rights and the um, overflowing of equity and equality that you expect to be there, that should be there, that ought to be there. What does mm-hmm. that look like? So and I was stumped. rights that we're supposed to have on yes. the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, I was stumped because I think there's a lot of fighting that we're still doing. Mm-hmm. And you feel like, you know, there's warfare always going on no matter where you go. And where does your hope come from? Where is mm-hmm. your joy? Where is your yeah. future joy being there? So 
I, I completely, you know, under, understand that into what you're saying as far as helping us uh, resolve or address these issues in a communal and a hopeful way. Now that we're talking about changing our worldviews and influencing worldviews of others, I want to loop back to your story. <laughs> I want to loop back to your story. We got to loop back to your story right. about the permission you gave this non-black woman to use the N-word. Mm-hmm. I- I'm curious, how did this conversation start? I don't really remember all the particulars of the mm-hmm. conversation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, you know, just based on what she expressed, she just thought the word was cool. You know, she mm-hmm. didn't feel like she had access, I guess, to use it in her daily life mm-hmm. and, you know, simply just wanted to use it in this very specific sexual context. Mm-hmm. And we both, you know, we got what we got from that experience and that was it. It, it wasn't like it didn't turn into a pattern. It, that's not what I became <laughs> to her, you know? Yeah. You're out here like, I know someone gives you gives permission. Just call them for a good time writing on the bathroom stall. <laughs> for, for a good, good N-word time. time. <laughs> for a good time using the N-word. Uh, call oh J-O at. <laughs> right. But no, I re- that, that really, that was the long and short of it. I mean, she just wanted to be able to use the word in this really specific context. So mm. it was that simple. Mm. Why did you grant that permission? Why? Cause you didn't have to, right? True. So what, yeah, what was that? Why, why did you do that? Um, well, I, I would say one words don't really move me like that. You know, mm-hmm. we're both, we both know the sticks and stones will break my bones saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but you know, even if it was the case that she meant it to be offensive in any kind of way, I might not have okayed it, but I definitely wouldn't have been phased by it. Because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm just not moved by words like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, I try to hold space for people's kinks. Got it. And independent of how they align with mine. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've had all different types of requests from women from different backgrounds, you know, ranging from asking to give me a golden shower on my face or spit in my mouth, you know, to performing oral sex on several women at a time at a bachelorette party. You know mm. what I mean? So it's like people have kinks. That's really not for me to judge. Got she it. was on her own journey. Mm. And then I would say this is probably the most poignant at the time. You know, I had had more experience being sexually abused and having people take. Mm. From me. So the fact that she was trying to, you know, set up uh, some conversation and seeking some kind of consent. Um yeah, like that's what that's what really helped. Mm, mm. That's what really helped it. Like I just didn't feel that it was coming from a place of her trying to assassinate me emotionally or assassinate my character. I didn't think she was coming after the ancestors. I didn't feel yeah. any of that. It was just her coming yeah. to me and expressing this desire. It you know it was different, but like I said, I just didn't feel it came from a bad place. So mm, mm. that was the reason why I wasn't such a big deal to explore that got it thank you for sharing because i I know you said a lot and you touched on some personal experiences there so you know i just want to take a minute to honor that space and honor what you shared thank you for sharing that absolutely Uh, yeah you know what did you learn from this experience though Uh, as far as pushing the conversation forward positive positively because we Mm -hmm. talk about self-acceptance and healing that's the anchor of what we're trying to do with and working on with this podcast with with this movement with this message really that Mm -hmm. we have about sex 
and its role in our lives as um, people and in our specific context in the United States, some people would say what you did wasn't positive. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help the conversation. We keep giving people access to the cookout. They show up. They bring their raisins in, in their potato bread, in the potato. potato salad, excuse me, I'm sorry, <laughs> put their raisins in the potato salad. <laughs> and then once they leave, they get all this slang, all this game, all this energy, and they go and start performing us in the world mm-hmm. because they got access. Black people are being too generous all the time, always showing our teeth, right? Always grinning and smiling. Right. What do you say to that in, in, in this context? Those, I would understand those sentiments, mm-hmm. you know, given the history of race that you eloquently and astutely laid out <laughs> and, the, and the impact of racism um, and oppression of black and brown bodies, particularly in this country, I can see why somebody might view you know, me permitting this person, non-black person to use a word or, you know, perpetuating a stigma or propping up some kind of distorted idea about race. But like I said, on a personal level, I just did not feel like it came from a negative place. And it's like, I want to try to give some context to it. Just this person wasn't white. You know, they were a Latina. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if, if that makes it any better. But mm-hmm. some people are nice, some people won't. Right. Exactly. No, no, no. Okay, what the color of the skin? <laughs> what country? What part of a region? <laughs> They're kind of distant cousins, right? They yeah. from the diaspora as well. So yeah, absolutely, like, absolutely. Black folk, absolutely. Right. It's. I mean, this. I'm just, just to say, there's some context to it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You didn't go full all out. Like you was sleeping with Pamela Anderson or some kind of blonde bombshell figure that people have in their mind. Right. Yeah. So for me, like I said, on a personal level. Um, that was the reason why I did it. I just wanted to explore that and give somebody else a chance to explore their own curiosities and their own kinks, I guess. Yeah. Um, go, you want to say something? Yeah. I mean, I just, you mentioned kinks before and I'm glad you brought up that, that topic because that is something that is being explored now. There's an, a writer, uh, she just published a book uh, called kink. Uh, and we definitely should, you know, talk about her book and her work here on the podcast, um, hopefully in the near future. But I, I really do think kinks are becoming an, uh, an important part of the, the sex conversation and honoring sure. people's kinks mm-hmm. and what, you know, attracts them. You know, I, I saw Ali, you know, Ali Wong stand up and I, I've, I've mentioned her before on the podcast. And she said, you know, when she needs an orgasm, you know, you got to start sex, sex off slowly. And then at the end, you got to be like screaming racist shit in her ear <laughs> as, as she's, you know, approaching that point of orgasm. But, you know, that's a kink, right? Normally, people don't want to hear any kind of racial epithets or racial thoughts or racial sentiment being expressed, even in, in day-to-day interaction. So then sometimes in the bedroom, though, people buy into that. You know, they, they play into these roles that helps them get off, brings the and, transgressive element into their sex life and gives them a, a jolt of energy. And and this is what I was saying earlier about we're all black when the lights go out. So like like you said on a day-to-day basis in regular situations, of course, nobody wants to hear a racial epithet. Nobody wants to be called out Mm -hmm. of the name or disrespected in a racial way. Mm -hmm. But you know, what she's saying is, yo, when we're, when the, when the lights are out and we're worshiping, you'll call me that Asian slut or blase, whatever. whatever There's something about this experience that again, takes away all of the things that separate us. Mm. And it and it brings us together in a way. I mean, son, even when you're talking about kinks, we talk about sexual behavior 
on a in a regular scenario, you wouldn't want somebody's hands around your neck, somebody biting true, you, somebody true. smacking yeah, true. you, or that's you know true. That's so true. It's like good point. It's the context of this scenario that again it strips away all of that other stuff. And it just brings us together on a basic human level, us connecting mm, in this way. Mm. Us connecting uh, via sex. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've dedicated a whole podcast and, and, and a life and our lives to, to that that process, connecting during sex. Right. You know, I just want to again say thank you for sharing what you shared with your story and also elements of your life that I, I know are times hard to discuss and talk about. We Again, I want to and we want to and I'm sure listeners want to honor that that process. And thank you for you know sharing yourself and your experiences in a way for all of us to heal and move deeper into our path of self-acceptance and healing. Man, I want to honor it, too. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's therapeutic for me and as we've both seen with each other in our own conversations and when we take them to other people, they're, they're really healing for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if you have uh, any you know, feedback about this show, any show ideas, topics, or suggestions, we can be reached at connect at love God, love sex podcast.net. Again, it's connect C O N N E C T at love God, love sex podcast.net. Before we depart, uh, we want to circle back to those sources we gave during our history section. Uh, it was Dr. Cheryl Cashin's book called Loving, right? Interracial Intimacy and White Supremacy. And uh, the other book is by Martha Hodes, uh, Black Men, White Women, Illicit Sex in the 19th Century. Both excellent books that will take you down a journey of exploring this topic and understanding and hopefully learning more about why sometimes we move towards certain tropes. It's not because we're bad people or that we're inherently evil or racist. It's that our brains are wired a particular way and the programming that we've received socially has guided us towards a particular end. Again, that's Dr. Cheryl Cashin, Loving Interracial Intimacy in America and the Threat to White Supremacy. And Martha Hodes, Black Men, uh, White Women Illicit Sex in the 19th Century, we hope this episode has been fruitful for you and that you are able to continue to move towards the journey of equity and quality in all areas for all people globally, especially in this area of sex where we all need it. Continue on your journey of self-acceptance and healing. This is Heath Maxwell saying, see you next episode. Peace.